These are my thoughts on chapter two of Freedom from the Known by Krishnamurti. Uh, this is part of my seminary journal. Chapter two is very interesting in that a lot of people are aware of it, but they never truly acknowledge it. Um, the best example I could give in a real world sense is when I was a little boy, I used to go to the local YMCA. And they had a pool, which I, I love swimming. It's a wonderful experience. It's freeing, and I just love swimming. But I enjoyed swimming in so much that I liked floating and Well, not so much floating, but just bobbing up and down the water, diving to go get weighted objects, and just enjoying myself. But other people, they enjoy racing and swimming, you know, trying to be the fastest. There are people who prefer to dive and practice cannonballs and develop their own method of entering the water. And there are those who float on uh, inflatable rafts and things like that. And there are those, it, it really is just everyone has their thing. But the one thing I really couldn't do very well was float. I, unless I'm in front of a computer where my mind is constantly engaged, I can't sit still and I don't like it. So the idea of floating was always difficult for me. To be honest, the only time I've ever learned to float was when I was in the Marine Corps during my swim qualifications where they said, here's your camis, which help you float a little bit. Here's your boots that help you float. Congratulations, you're floating for 10 minutes. Of course, after doing a bunch of other swimming and you're tired. But the instructor gave me some advice. And that advice was point, keep your chest, your you know, your point your collarbone towards the sky. Breathe into your chest, not to your belly, and focus on that. And he followed it with the greatest add-on to any bit of advice I've ever heard. He said, "Now do it for the next ten minutes." <laughs> that it was exhausting. Um, it really is. Who knew that? trying to float could wear you out but here I was worn and torn but the reason why I bring this up is imagine if life was that swimming pool when you're floating when you're truly at still and kind of free from trying to go from place to place Krishnamurti comments on uh, focusing on the past and looking towards the future and trying to turn your thoughts in one way or another, you're always forgetting to look at the foundation, who you are. Now, when you're swimming, like you're, you're doing that, uh, I can only doggy paddle, but if you're doing that forward, that long swooping motion, that, that swimming, you know, when you're on your side, I don't know what it is. I don't know, butterfly or something like that. But the, the thing is about that, you can't hear a thing. You don't know what's going on around you. All you know is forward, 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 until you hit a wall. And I've seen plenty of people crack their heads on that wall. So you're so concerned with forward motion that you, you, you hit something because you can't, the motion, the very motion of your movement clouds everything. You can't see, you can't hear. Uh, you can barely feel because you're moving so fast. So, and then you have those who are focused more like I was. Excuse me. Floating around, not so much floating around, but doing things under the water. 
but they don't know what's going on on top. You could blow a whistle and I won't hear it very well because my ears are covered in in uh, water. Excuse me again. But <clears throat> then you have the people who are on their floaties and they're not truly touching the water, but they're still having fun. In this, I feel it's just like people. You have those young professionals who it's constantly forward, forward, forward. They're, they're constantly trying to seek out ways to better improve themselves. They're, they're building, and they're building, and they're building. They're getting degrees and jobs and houses and loans and credit cards. And you know, they're constantly trying to better themselves or become something more than they were yesterday, which is all commendable. And then you have those who are who focus on the past, the ones who are under the water, the ones who aren't focusing on, you know, what's going on around them. You're more internal, but you're still not in the present, so to speak. Yeah, you might hear the, you know, the whistle eventually, but by then, whatever's happening is probably over. But then you have those who are floating around on the mats. They're just kind of living their life. They aren't really touching the water. They're just doing the do. And they're not truly floating. And I would say that Krishnamurti would probably, and I don't like speaking for other people, don't like putting words in my mouth, but I would suppose that there might be some analogy there for religious leaders who focus more on rote and ritual. I would say it's more about the people who've had it very well easy, and they're very shallow people. But that's my personal taste. Now, this chapter focuses on the idea of finding out who you are. That, that introspection where it's no longer... There's no flavor to it. It's, it's who you are. Because at the very, very base day, the very, the very end of the day, you have to know who you are. If you don't know your value, who you are, what you are, then how can you ascribe any value to anyone else or their ideas? As a person, I, I, I do have some pride in being aware that I'm not a perfect person. I, I have a lot of issues. I'm very, very aware of my thoughts and my feelings, and I try to focus on where they come from. And there's some utility to that, which I'll go into later. But think about it. We often have shadow thoughts. We often have, um, you know, when the night is dark and you want to turn on all the lights and lock all the doors and make sure all the windows are shut. And our, our minds are invaded by negative thoughts that we know. You know, you question your relationship, you question your money, your future, you question everything. Now, try to deny those, but we don't really see it for what it is because they can't come from nothing. They come from within. I'm a natural worrier. I'm a negative person. So I know they're coming from me, and to dismiss them is irrational. But this chapter focuses on going even deeper than that. To the point where there is nothing. There, If I were to describe myself as a house, there is no house. There's just the foundation. What is the foundation of Nakus? 
sure, I have a house. I might even have a pool in the backyard. Um, I have a family in that house. I <laughs> may have been living here for 29 years, but what is the foundation? What shape is it? Is it cracked? Is it level? What kind of foundation? What's the material? And that analogy goes to that simple, simple idea of observing ourselves. Who are you? This book is a little light in terms of getting deep, but it's also, unfortunately, one of those, those high-level ideas that's so simple it's hard to describe. It's like asking someone to tell you how to breathe. You know, if someone has never breathed before, how do you explain the process to them? And the, I really do like this chapter because you're looking at the foundation of who you are. Because if you are a, I don't know, if, if your foundation is cracked because of something that's happened in the past and you don't address that for the house that you're building, uh, take myself for instance, I am naturally an introvert. I'm not an outgoing person. I get about 30 to 45 minutes of being an extrovert before I am exhausted and I want to go home open up a book and kind of forget the world exists and other people exist. But if I were to sit here, and that's that's just who I am, and if I go and try to set myself up as a public relations person, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not going to work. I will be at conflict with myself. But reading over this chapter, it gets down to that idea of finding out who you are. I'm flipping through this to kind of pull out the uh, comments. The third, the third paragraph. It says, Why are you frightened of being alone? Because you are faced with yourself as you are, and you find that you are empty, dull, stub stupid, ugly, guilty, and anxious, a petty, shoddy, second-hand entity. Face that fact, look at it, do not run away from it. I like that because we're not perfect. The only person who knows how perfectly imperfect we are is ourselves. We know our internal thoughts. We know how we process information. We know all these things. But we try to factor it away. We try to explain it. We try to do all these things and we... You know, we we try not to live with ourselves, or we try to not look at it. Um, someone who is, you know, we goes back to the previous uh, chapter. Really, we we start off and we're formed by society. We're formed by everything else. Everything you touch shapes you. We're, we're like a piece of wet clay that's being passed around the classroom. The, the potter, the teacher, the, the teacher for the pottery class says, here, have a, have this, take this piece of clay and you all have 60 seconds to make a vase out of it. And the first of 30 students gets his, you know, his time and they keep passing around, keep passing around. And at the end of all the students, you have a vase. Excuse me. You know, 
your parents were handed a vase, that, that lump of clay, and you didn't turn out the way they thought you would turn out. Not 100%. Your mother had a vision, your father had a vision, the teachers in school had a vision, your grandparents had a vision, your brothers and sisters had a vision, um, your first girlfriend or boyfriend, um, your fiancé if you have one, your husband, your wife, your significant other. Everyone has this vision of you. Because we always want to help other people. We want to improve everyone else. That's not a bad thing, inherently. But we recognize that we grew up in this mold. It's a bunch of different molds. You ask, what are you? Well, me and myself, I was... You know, I'm a son. I'm a stepfather. I'm a husband. I'm Jedi. Uh, I'm a United States Marine. I may be out, but I still am. Title carries on. Uh, I'm a financial controller. I deal with finances. I'm a student. I have a lot of what I am, and all those shape me. They mold me. But is that always positive? So when you look at your formative years and how you raised up and everything that you base your reality on, is your foundation good? Is it broken? Is it the sh is the house you're building that shape of that foundation? Is it fully supported? Maybe you have, maybe you're trying to put too heavy of a house on the foundation you have. And that mold, we recognize it for what it is when we start to observe ourselves truly. Um, <clears throat> on page 15 it says, When we condemn or justify what we cannot see clearly, nor can we when our minds are endlessly chattering, then we do not observe what it is we look at. Only the projections that we have made of ourselves. Have you ever gone and played a video game and it says make your own characters, sculpt them, and you make yourself, only they're about uh, 15 more years in the gym than I've been at. You know, they're about 40 pounds less, you know, 50 pounds plus extra muscle, about a couple inches taller, you know, less poof around the cheeks, and the beard looks really nice and it's full. We have ways we see ourselves, and that's what we try to fill. We try to fill that men that mental image, because that's how we're taught. We're, it goes all the way back to that mask, you know, the mask we all wear, and we try to fill that because we you, you do become the mask. If you are around hyper-masculine people who are always going to the gym, eventually you will end up going to the gym. Just as if you hang around smokers, you're more likely to end up being a smoker. You try to fill that mask you present. Take off your mask, look in a mirror, and see you for who you are. And <laughs> we're ugly creatures at the very underside. We're, we're a bunch of base emotions and, um, you know, parts of us are violent, some of us, parts of us are not. But when you react to a situation, we, we often say, you know, emotion yet peace. You know, what does that mean? Well, if you want, in this case, peel it all the way back. When you look at something, what's really telling you to say that? If someone says, uh, if someone's making fun of another person, you you join in. What caused you to do that? Is it fear of not belonging to that group? Is it because you just hate that person? Or you hate what they represent. Or maybe it's that aspect of them you don't like. 
But what is it? When you do something good, when you do something altruistic, why did you do it? When you begin to truly understand who you are, when you peel back all those justifications and, you know, it's like asking a toddler, why'd you do that? I don't know. That's unacceptable. Why'd you do that? Well, it felt good. Okay, why'd it feel good? And you keep asking why, 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 why? You eventually get down to that base foundation that that you get down to that final point of this is who you are and from there you can begin reworking it when you understand if let's say you go down and you realize that you're racist you can begin changing yourself you're, you've taken everything away. Now you can start finally repairing yourself and see, getting rid of what's bad. Or you can start taking precautions to make sure that you're better. It's these things that we, we don't really realize until we break it down and look at it that way. It's another way of trying to examine who we are. And it's funny, you, you find yourself repeating the same thing over and over with some of these books, some of these chapters, because you're not looking at it, you're, you're saying the same thing repeatedly, but in different ways to help people understand. Because you're trying to get down to the very root of someone, and that path is never the same for two people. You can sit there and be psychoanalyzed, but at the end of the day, only you can do it. People can guide you. People can help you. Uh, your significant other might know very well why you think a way. So, uh, they, can, they can point you and say, hey, you might want to look at this. Your mother and father can help. Your psychotherapist, your psychiatrist. But the only person who can truly do it is yourself. It's taking away your ego and seeing what's on the underside. Finding out at the end, what do they, they say? Um, character is who you are in the dark when there's no one to watch your actions. And uh, I think that's part, that, that's something I took away from this chapter. Um, it's self awareness, and self awareness is something that's very hard to come by, and it's something you have to practice every day. Even I have limited self-awareness. And you only get what you put into it. You can't just do it for a day and hope to have enlightenment. Or hope to know yourself truly. Because you've never been... You're not tested constantly. Even, even if you've been doing it for 10-20 years, you still find new ways that your mind, who you are interacts with this world and with other people in different situations because you may have never encountered a situation before and so that's um that's really what i took away from this it's it's all getting down to that basis that boiling away all the excess it's asking yourself who you are what's the foundation of the house that you've built and that gives you the power and the ability to figure out is this where you want to build your house um one last thought before I uh, finish this up. I was reading uh, one of those infinite number of Twitter and Tumblr posts. Someone mentioned that their mother told them 
when you think of something, the first thought is what society has conditioned you to say. The second thought is who you are. What is that first thought? And is that first thought what you want to be? If it's not, how do you fix it? You go down and find where it came from and be aware of it first. You can never fix anything. You just can't fix it if you don't know what it is. You don't know what the cause is. You don't put a Band-Aid or you don't take cough medicine to make the cough go away. You take... Um, you take cough medicine to suppress the cough, not to cure it. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want a cure or long-term treatment for our um, horrible, nasty parts of ourselves. And that's how we better ourselves is finding out who we are. And it's down to us to do it. So th that's my thoughts on the second chapter. I, I have a lot more, but I need to spread out, divide it, and boil it down and reconstitute it. Um, if anyone would like to discuss this with me further, please, by all means, message me. Have I would advise having a specific point so we could have a good conversation. But um, I hope you enjoyed listening to this, and I hope it's useful for whomever's listening. And once again, this is um, the second chapter from Krishnamurti's Freedom from the Known. Thank you.